Happy Fourth of July, everyone. <laughs> good, to, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for taking a little time out of your fourth festivities as we give thanks to this wonderful country of ours, to give thanks to the Lord in the, the middle of it. Uh, if you're a guest and if you're listening online, next week, right after church, we're going to have a little time just to say hello to you. We know folks have come in from all over over the past year and a half. We'll tell you a little bit about pilgrimage in the fall and what that will look like. So please stay after next week. And then next week, we're also going to take a little break from our neighboring series. And we're going to have a special service. Matt's going to be on vacation. And some couple folks grab him. Donald, when's the last time you had a vacation, Matt? Christmas or something like that? You've, you've been going hard for a long time. So don't let him get out of here tonight without praying for him. Uh, and we're, we're going to have an examen, which is a, a service where we take some time to reflect on just where we are after COVID and what our soul is like, what we need, what we lost, what we hope for. And one of the things that's been so interesting is everybody seems to have responded differently. And so this is a chance, maybe you haven't a chance to slow down and really just reflect for an hour. Sandy's going to share a little bit with us. Um, be a real special uh, time next Sunday. So that'll be the service. It'll be an examen where we try to figure out where are we as we come out of the wilderness of of COVID. Um, well, this summer we're asking the question, what does it look like to love our neighbor well? And we're going through Old and New Testament passages uh, asking that question. Um, tonight we're looking at Jeremiah's letter to the Babylonian exiles, and we, we've got a dual focus on, our primary focus is we're asking, all right, we're as a church community, we're moving in there in a couple months. What does it look like for us as a church community to be good neighbors in this neighborhood? But then, of course, most of us have uh, another neighborhood where we were at the university or the hospital or, you know, the Fulton High School or whatever. And, of course, we need to be thinking about what neighboring looks like there as well. But our primary focus this summer is what, what is it? What does it mean to be a good neighbor in this neighborhood here? So the, the text tonight may be familiar to some of you, but let's revisit it again. It's an, been an important one to our church. Here's the setting. Uh, we're in the 6th century B.C. Babylonian armies have just sacked Jerusalem, left it in rubble, forced marked the, marched the survivors 700 miles through the desert in chains and dumped them in refugee camps. So that's the setting. And obviously, the, the people of God want to go back to Jerusalem. They're, they're not happy with their captors. And some prophets are going among the camp saying, hey, don't worry. God's told me you're going home soon. Um, don't unpack. Uh, we're going to be out of here in a minute. And that's where Jeremiah comes in. And God says, Jeremiah, you need to go correct that. And that's where this prophecy comes from. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Very interesting introduction here. God says, I, I know you hate this. I know it's been horrific. I know you're grieving. Uh, I'm somehow in it. I sent you here. 
Wow, that's a hard one, isn't it? God's sovereignty, the problem of evil, above my pay grade. I don't know how you figure it all out, but it's in God's word. That somehow God actually wanted to send his people into this city of Babylon. I think that's important uh, to keep in mind that God sends his people into cities and neighborhoods to bless them. And there's a a major turning point in the strategy for mission in the Bible right here. Because up till now, it's been about Jerusalem. It's been about, hey, we're going to go on Mount Zion. That's where Jerusalem is. We're going to have the temple. We're going to have a godly king. He's going to reign justly. We're going to sing his praises. And uh, there's these wonderful prophecies about all the nations coming to Jerusalem. They see the beauty of God. They want to be there. So it's very much a come to Jerusalem and you'll find God. But now the strategy shifts. And God's people are scattered. They start in Babylon, but they wind up scattering all over the cities of the the ancient world. And the strategy now is, I'm sending you into different cities to be my faithful presence there. And some do go back to Jerusalem, but the strategy never really shifts back. And when you get to the New Testament, particularly in the book of 1 Peter, This same language from Jeremiah 29 appears and we're we're talked of as exiles and it's the same motif all over again. So we're sent into a neighborhood to bless it. Now, God gives his people three ways to bless a neighborhood in this little passage. First, he says, put down roots in your neighborhood. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons. Give your sons in marriage that they may multiply there and do not decrease. So they're not to see themselves as just uh, visitors or tourists. They're supposed to put down roots and be faithfully present in this neighborhood. It turns out for 70 years at least. And that's what they do. Matter of fact, some do return, but a lot don't. A lot move into positions of leadership and influence in the cities that they go into. Now, why would God say this? One reason, I think, is if if you want to have a long-term impact in any neighborhood, any community, which is a fragile ecosystem of relationships that can easily be disrupted you need to build trust. And that means you need to be there a long, long time. Now, I want to say something here before I give an illustration. I'm not not against short-term mission trips. I've been on them. I've led them. They change lives. They bless. uh, They can be wonderful things. But the overall pattern of Scripture is move in and stay there because it takes a while to build trust. I was talking to a, a business uh, shopkeeper here a while ago and a couple blocks away. And I could tell he was kind of irritated with me. And um, I know that would surprise you that someone would be irritated with me. But he was kind of irritated with me. And I said, 
what, tell me what you're thinking. He said, to be honest, we don't want any more churches in this neighborhood. And I said, can you tell me why? And he said, yeah. This church group came in. They decided they want to serve chili dinners uh, once a week to the people who needed it down here. They come in, set up in the, the, the block right next to us. 100 people show up. When they leave, the church leaves with them. There's chili everywhere. There's bowls everywhere. There's cups everywhere. Of course, they don't think about bathrooms. So there's that everywhere. And on Monday morning, I clean it up. Well, the, the church group hadn't really built enough trust with the neighborhood to know what was really needed. And by the way, 101, every homeless worker here will tell you more food is not what is needed. <laughs> there are plenty of meals for homeless people in Knoxville and send them over to those ministries over there. A young African-American theologian um, tells a story about, I think he grew up in Philadelphia just before he went to get his PhD, and he said, this, one, this group would come in every summer for a week and clean up our block, and then at the end they'd have kind of a party and they'd all wear T-shirts and they would get their pictures with us. And He said it was just humiliating um, just to have other people just kind of show up and clean up your neighborhood and then leave. And I, he said I was embarrassed. And, uh, well, I'm sure they were well-intentioned, but again, we're going back to this principle of long-term presence so that you, you develop trust and you begin to understand what a neighborhood needs and maybe what you need from the neighborhood. A missionary wrote a blog post um, about an aha moment he had hosting a short-term missions trip in Africa. And again, I, I love, Danny goes on them, others have gone, I've gone on them. God does great things on short-term missions trips. But sometimes they violate this principle. Uh, and he wrote his supporters back home and he asked this question, how would you feel if a group of very wealthy Muslims came into your neighborhood uninvited, started playing with your children without asking you, holding them, and taking pictures with their iPhones and sending them to folks back home? I've done that. And again, there's not the trust built. There's not the relationship. There's not the long-term Roots. Now, on the other hand, I think of families like Adrian and Kathy Gonzalez. They moved into Mechanicsville 30 years ago. They, they've served on neighborhood associations, become dear friends with their neighbors, raised money to restore parks, written letters to the mayors. Um, they don't get a T-shirt for it. Um, but Mechanicsville's got a little more shalom in it than 30 years ago. And it's because they did this. They put down roots in their neighborhood. The BB series Call the Midwife um, offers a good picture of what it looks like for a Christian community to put down roots in a neighborhood to bless it. The show's based on a true story. The midwives are part of an Anglican religious order for nurses that lives, prays, and serves in an impoverished neighborhood in the east end of London. And I did a little research. The story starts in 1956. Uh, at that point, the order had been there 107 years. 
they have been faithfully present serving. And that's why the name of the show is called Call the Midwife, because they had been there so long that when you got into trouble, you knew, go call them. They'll, they'll help. That's what you need. Now, you know, most of us won't actually move into this neighborhood, but we are part of a church that is, and I think it raises some interesting questions. What might it look like for us to put down roots here uh, to settle in for the next 70 years? How do we build trust with our neighbors? What well-intentioned good ministries might we start that actually have a negative side effect and diminish trust with neighbors? And if our goal is to see results in 70 years instead of 70 days, how might we proceed differently? Well, the second thing God tells him to do is to seek the peace of the neighborhood. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. It's the Hebrew word shalom, fullness, wholeness, restoration, peace, even prosperity in the Old Testament. The idea is of life functioning the way that it's intended to function. So God says, I want you to be there a long, long time. And as you're there, I want you to seek the peace of your neighborhood. I want you to do things that move it towards what God would have it become. And again, we need to take a long-term approach to this. We don't want to rush out. But this is the trajectory. This is the vision. One way we can start, and we're trying to do this, is by learning more about the shalom gaps in the neighborhood. What are the places in the neighborhood where there's a gap between what God has said he desires and what people are experiencing. Um, another practical way I think we'll find is, is something we did when we moved into Market Square, and, and that is um, intentionally eat in our neighborhood restaurants and tip very generously. Um, Brian Strutz is uh, the owner of Adopo Pizza, and, and, and we've gotten together a few times, and I had a really good conversation with him. He helped me understand a little more about the servers that really make downtown Knoxville so fun. Um, a couple of things that, that I've learned. The average waiter or waitress in America made $23,000 in 2019. Uh, few have access to health care. Mental health issues are on the rise and the job's very stressful. Housing near the restaurant for restaurant workers where you work is very difficult to find because the prices are, are going so high. So one option is to just find a restaurant or coffee shop, brewery that you really like and just really intentionally bless it. Just get to know the people there. We've had some folks that have been doing that for, for years and tip very, very well. You, you know, any of you that know servers or have been servers, you know that Christians are notorious for complaining the most and being the worst tippers. So let, let's be uh, really, really generous um, to our friends. We're also learning more about the nonprofits that are seeking the peace of our neighborhood. You know, I think one of the things we learn as we kind of come in and stay put, there's a lot of good stuff already going on. We don't have to invent it all ourselves. We probably don't have to invent any of it ourselves. Um, and one of the things uh, I'm trying to do is create a, 
a list of all the nonprofits that are serving uh, our, our neighborhood. We're, we're calling the neighborhood, you know, within a half mile radius, but the nonprofit might be outside of that. And here's the short list. And it, the ones that you know about that I miss, please send them to me. And we'll continue to try to get a, a list. Interfaith Health Clinic, Cherokee Health, The Bottom, uh, YMCA, YWCA, CARM, Knoxville Area Rescue Mission, VMC, Volunteer Ministry Center, Salvation Army, Care Cuts, Alliance for Better Nonprofits, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Boys and Girls Clubs, Amachi Mentoring, the Community Building Institute, Emerald Youth Foundation, Neighborhood Associations, and Parent Teacher Associations. So as we kind of settle in down here and you're wondering, I, I don't have a lot of time, but there's, I, I could help somehow. There's probably a nonprofit that's already doing something that you would like to do. And, and boy, these nonprofits, they're faithful and they struggle and they need gifted people like you to serve on their boards and to give and to pray. Uh, it's a wonderful way to seek the peace of the city. Um, of course, a primary way that we seek the peace of our neighborhood is sharing with our neighbors that they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how Peter talks about that. Um, he, he, he says, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I think the idea is, is that as you are in the neighborhood, as you are a good neighbor, as you are serving, um, people eventually want to know, what is, what's up with you? I'd like to know more about what makes you tick. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. I suspect that evangelism in our neighborhood will be closely linked to hospitality. And we're returning again to this model we talk about of urban monasticism. Um, that, that, that movement of community that started off in the desert and then moved into the cities. Uh, there's, one of my favorite films is called Of Gods and Men. And it, it offers just this powerful picture of uh, how a community like ours can use hospitality to bless a neighborhood. It's a true story. It's in the late 1990s, seven Trappist monks live in a, a simple monastery on the edge of Tiberin a small city in the Algerian mountains. And the monks just serve the villagers with gentle hospitality. One of them runs a free medical clinic. Another offers honey in the market. Another gives spiritual counsel to a troubled girl. In one scene, they visit a Muslim boy's birthday party. And then an extremist group comes in and demands that they leave. And the monks, knowing that staying will mean martyrdom, anguish over the decision, but they decide they can't leave their neighbors in the city. And four months later, they're, they're rounded up, marched into the forest, and executed. My favorite scene in the movie, and of course these monks have been there for many, many years, is this older monk, who's one of the first to be executed, uh, is counseling this young Muslim woman about, about her love life. <laughs> and there's this touching scene where he tells her that he was in love with a girl once, but he he fell in love with God, and he decided that was enough for him. And it was just a beautiful sharing of the gospel and the love he had for God and the love God had for him. And I thought, that's such a beautiful picture of how hospitality and sharing the gospel can go 
together. It, it's maybe less crusades and more as we're among our neighbors and serving, we get to talk about the God that we love. Well, lastly, God says, and by the way, pray for the neighborhood. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. <laughs> One of the reasons God sends his people into a neighborhood is to pray for the neighborhood. And also, also that's been a, a big part of our life together now from the beginning. Uh, we spent hundreds of hours giving the gift of prayer to our city through the Mary Tarwater Chapel. And the Mary Tarwater Chapel will have a prominent place in our new building as well. Uh, I, I am so thankful for the way many of you prayed during the pandemic. Uh, I, I'm convinced it's one of the threads that held us together. Um, a group met on Monday evenings at the Campus House of Prayer, social distance, prayed. Uh, I understand several young adults that are here tonight formed a special prayer circle. Matt launched morning and evening prayer online. Morning prayer still continues. I just think that's one of the ways God held us together during the pandemic. One of the gifts an urban monastery gives to a neighborhood is prayer. Many years ago, some French monks build a monastery on a hill overlooking a little city. And the residents were not very happy about this at first, but the monks kind of left them alone, were busy praying. And the years passed, and gradually the citizens uh, forgot that the monastery was even there. And then one fall day, a farmer took his pumpkins to the market, and he said to his friends, you know, I could swear these pumpkins are bigger than they used to be. Another farmer said, you know, I'm sure that my cow's giving more well, milk. And the, the sheriff said, you know, we haven't had a murder in three years. And then they all looked up at the hill at the monastery, and they knew why. The monks had been praying for them, and the blessing had flowed down the mouth. Let's pray. Lord, this 4th of July, we, we come, we come giving thanks for our country. We come wanting to have the posture that we see taught in this passage towards a country we love, and it sometimes frustrates us to seek her peace, to pray for her, to be faithfully present. Lord, now as we end this service and begin looking towards next time we come together and gather and begin to reflect about COVID and where you met us and what we're thankful for and what we're grieving and what we lost, 
and where we feel disoriented and confused. Could you start that work tonight as we come to the table? Just Because, Lord, it's hard to go on mission and be a good neighbor and all of that when maybe, maybe, maybe kind of like our own gears have been stripped a bit and we're having trouble getting going again. So we're doing something delicate this summer, Lord. We're, we're trying to focus on mission and reaching out. We're also trying to care for our souls and figure out where we are and move in healing, health. So may, may this week, even as we begin, be a time of healing and health and wholeness. Please meet us now. Start that reflective work as we come to the table. In your name, amen.